pleasure to be with you again today here at the Transforming Love Church, and uh, to God be the glory uh, for what he is doing among you. Uh, let me read a passage of scripture, one that is very familiar to you. And uh, I think you use mostly the King James translation. Is that accurate? Okay, well, I'll be reading from the King James today. All right. <laughs> our pastor, and um, Dr. Lyons, one of our former pastors here at Redwood, was in the same age generation as my father. And uh, Dr. Lyons would often state, even though he often used the... Um, New International Version for most of his preaching, he would confess, well, everybody knows that the King James Version is the real Bible. And uh, my dad would say the same thing. Um, so I brought that translation today and uh, to God be the glory. Now, uh, we're going to be in an Old Testament um, book of biblical revelation. One of the familiar uh, passages found in the book of Joshua. A very familiar passage in Joshua chapter 24. And let me read it, uh, just two verses, and then uh, we will um, say some things about the text, and then you will um, have a good text to preach when you go home. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this afternoon, for just a few moments, I would like to uh, highlight some of the points of an informed decision to serve God. An informed decision. To serve God, and again, that's from primarily based on Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. But actually, this text comes out of a larger segment of Scripture that starts at the 22nd chapter of Joshua. Uh, in the 22nd chapter of Joshua, Joshua is calling the tribes together. The land has been uh, divided and parceled out. Uh, quick history. We meet Joshua in Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17, the children of Israel have come out of the land of Egypt, and they are in the wilderness. They come into the land of the Amalekites, and the Amalekites wage war against Israel. Moses commands Joshua to assemble a group of fighting men to fight against the Amalekites. Along with Joshua is Aaron and Hur. Moses goes up to the mountain, and the record says in Exodus chapter 17 
that when Moses lifted up his hands, the nation of Israel prevailed against the Amalekites. And when Moses lowered his hands, the Amalekites prevailed against the Israelites. And so what happens is, is that Aaron and Hur, they go up where Moses is and keep his hands elevated so that the Israelites would prevail against the Amalekites. That is in Exodus chapter 17, and that is our first mention of Joshua. Joshua is among those who were born in Egypt and came out of Egypt in the Exodus. He works alongside Moses in the wilderness years. When Moses goes up to the mountain to, re- to meet God and to receive the Decalogue, or what we call the tablets or the Ten Commandments, Joshua was with him. When Moses would go into the tent of meeting to get a word from the Lord, in the, as recorded in Exodus, Joshua was with him. The record describes Joshua as Moses' minister or servant. As the years progress, Moses becomes old, and in an incident of disobedience and out of frustration, Moses disobeys God when God, the second time God tells him to speak to the rock. Moses, in frustration, because of the rebelliousness of the Israelite, hits the rock. And when he hits the rock, it is a direct violation of what God told him to do. Because of his disobedience, Moses misses going into the promised land. He pleads with God, but God says no. Parenthetical statement that I want to say here is that our actions have consequences. Our actions have consequences. That is what I believe life, that is my life rule number one. Actions have consequences. Where did I get that from? When, in my former employer, this sign was on the door in the supervisor's office. So whenever you walked into the supervisor's office, you had to walk past a sign that had two statements on it. The first, the first statement was the one I just said, your actions have consequences. And immediately below that was the statement, you are responsible for your actions. Uh, That's what I believe are the two, my two rules of life. And I appreciated that sign so much that I took a copy of it and put it on the wall in my office at home. And um, our children, my wife and our children, they're all adults now, but when they were younger, you would have to engage some time in parental discipline. And if you have, those of you who have children and and have more than one child, because this only applies if you have more than one child. Because if you have one child and something's broken, you know who did it. Uh, But when you have more than one, sometime, uh, you know, they like to play off each other. And so sometime when we were dealing with our children and I would bring one in and they would point to their brother or their sister, my response is go upstairs and read the sign in the office and then come down and we'll finish our discussion. Actions have consequences. 
And so Moses' act of disobedience, though out of frustration with the Israelites, God held him accountable. And he said, Moses, you're not going to make it in now, uh, no matter how much you plead. And when, after Moses finishes pleading, then what does Moses do? Moses says in the book of Numbers, choose a man who will follow me in leading and guiding the people. Joshua is the man whom God designated who would be what we would call Moses' successor to lead the people into the promised land. And so Joshua uh, is there in the wilderness. He is among the 12 uh, spies that go into uh, Kadesh Barnea and to spy out the land. He is one of two spies that stands faithful, true to God. When the other spies uh, brought back a negative report, 10 of those spies, Joshua and Caleb, did not refute what the 10 spies said. Because what the 10 spies said was true. We went into the land, we saw the land, we saw its fruit. The Nephilim or the giants are there. The cities are what everything that the ten spies said were true. Where they got off base is was their assessment of themselves, number one, and their assessment of the power of God in the light of their insufficiency. And so they said, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. And perhaps there is a measure of truth in that because the Nephilim were known as giants. And so when they went in and saw everything, an accurate assessment was that, yes, we did look like grasshoppers in their sight. However, we serve a God who made the grasshopper. And we serve a God who made the giants. And so Joshua and Caleb, Agree with everything the ten spies said. But the caveat was, they said, our God whom we serve is able to defeat the giants and bring us into the land. The statement that Joshua and Caleb make is not a reckless or blind statement. It was based upon God's faithfulness to them up to that point. And so they had something to hang their hat on. They had something to make their conclusion with. They had tangible evidence of the faithfulness of God bringing them out of Egypt and even before Egypt, the 12 uh, plagues that went through Egypt demonstrated the power of God. The way they came out of Egypt with the bounty of Egypt in their pockets was, was clue to the faithfulness of God, how God had carried them on eagles' wings through the wilderness, demonstrated the faithfulness of God. And so when Joshua and Caleb stand and say, yes, there are giants in the land, but if we be good, if we obey the Lord, God has already promised to give us the land, all we got to do is walk and follow what God has said to do. So Joshua is among that group. He's among the group that 
was there when the serpents came in, when the children of Israel uh, rebuked or disobeyed God and, and, and fiery serpents came in and Moses had to lift up uh, the bronze serpent so that they could be healed, Joshua was there. On the second time, uh, Moses went up to the mountain after he had destroyed the tablets. The first time he came down, he had to go back up. Joshua was there. And when Moses died, Joshua was there. And so now Joshua comes into the land. Just give me a quick background. In Joshua chapter 1, we meet him. And we meet him by this statement. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Now rise up and lead this people into the land I will show you. Another parenthetical statement. When God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. The emphasis is not on is dead. The emphasis is on Moses, my servant. What will be said about you when you die? Will it be said that you, though you have died, were the servant of the Lord? You know the story. God appears to Joshua and says, be strong and of good courage. As I have been with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Just follow in my footsteps. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. And in it you will find good success. Didn't I not command you to be strong and of good courage? God says again to Joshua. And so Joshua takes the mantle, so to speak, and, 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 and begins leading the children of Israel out of the wilderness across the Jordan into the land of Canaan. When they cross the Jordan, Joshua commands uh, the tribes to get 12 stones from the Jordan. Bring them over into the new land as a monument of the faithfulness of God. Joshua goes into the land and he fights battle after battle. Perhaps the most famous battle is the battle of Jericho. Joshua's there leading the Israelites against Jericho. And you know the story, how it says that they were to march around the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirteen times. Where do you get the thirteen from? Well, if you read the record clearly, God says to Joshua, who commands to the, speaks to the people, each day for six days you shall march around the wall. On the seventh day you shall march seven times around the wall, and on the seventh time, six plus seven, last time I checked is 13, on the, se on the seventh time, on the seventh day, you shall shout. And the record says that when they shouted, the wall fell flat. And they went in and conquered the land. Joshua has now divided uh, the land among the 12 tribes. God has given them rest from all of their enemies. Joshua says in Joshua chapter 23, when he calls the nation together, he says, I am old, and I'm about to go the way of all the earth. 
But I have one final word that I want to say. And he rehearses with the elders, with the uh, leaders, with the officers of the tribes, all that God has done. And they said, we're going to follow the Lord. Now in our text, he calls all of Israel together with all of the tribes, with all of the elders, with all of the officers, with all of the leaders, and he rehearses what God has done. He starts with God calling Abraham way back centuries later, and he rehearses how God called Abraham from among his house and from among Nahar and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then he goes from there, and, he, and, and interestingly, our text where we are today, in Joshua chapter 24, is in the land of Shechem. Where was Shechem? Shechem was the place where Abraham, Abram built the first altar in Genesis chapter 12 when God said, I'm going to bless you and make you a good nation. Joshua comes back to the point of the original promise in demonstration that God keeps his word. Another parenthetical statement, do you serve a God that keeps his word? So Joshua comes to this place, Shechem, which is, uh, as I said, the place where Abraham built the altar in Genesis chapter 12. And he rehearses all that God has done from the time of Abram all the way up to where they are right now. They have rest from their enemies. The land is divided. There's peace in the land. An end of an era is approaching. Joshua is about to pass off the scene, but he has one final word that he wants to say. And he says that in verse 14, the verse that I read. Now, now here's what I want you to do. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. He says, and, now, uh, uh, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in the King James, other side of the river in, some, in the NIV and in the, and in the New American Standard Version. The other side of the river or the other side of the flood points to the gods that they were serving in the wilderness, okay, from the time they came out of Egypt up until this point. Because remember, when they came out of Egypt, what was one of the first sins that they did Moses is up on the mountain. The people are uh, restless. They say to Aaron, up, make us a God. And what, what does Aaron do? Aaron says, bring all the gold that you have. And he fashioned the calf. And, and, and it's a comical setting because when Moses comes down off of the mountain and he inquires of Aaron, what did these people do to you? How did they convince you to do this, to make this calf? Aaron says, well, they brought the gold, I threw it in the fire, and the calf came out. You know, that's the, you know it's kind of comical, it's almost as I didn't have anything to do with it. All I know is that they brought gold, and we put it in the fire, and the calf came out. But the interesting thing was, where did they get the image of the calf? The calf was one of those deities that was worshipped in Egypt, all right? And so he's saying, now, God has been walking with you. God has been faithful. 
God has demonstrated himself all that he claimed to be. He says, now what, I, what I'm encouraging you to do, Israel, as I pass off the scene, is to take inventory of your relationship with God and decide for yourself if God is worth you following. It's a decision that everybody has to make. Some of us have children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews. And, and, and I was blessed to have a mother and a father, a grandmother and a grandfather who loved the Lord and who served the Lord. But you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. And, and, and the point that I'm making is, is that though my grandparents had faith, and though my parents had faith, and though they pointed me to Christ and told me about God, even though they had their own relationship with God, their faith wasn't enough to save me. I had to have established a relationship with God. And so one of the things that Joshua is saying here is, is this, is that each one of you of the 12 tribes, as you listen to me today, each one of you will have to decide, is God worth following? Is God worth trusting? Is God worth holding on to? Is God worth clinging to? Is God worth letting it all ride on him? You know, one of the things that I do sometime in my travels Sometimes my travels take me to Nevada, particularly Las Vegas, Nevada, because there's a computer conference that I go there every two to three years. And, and one of the things that I like to do, I'm not a gambler, but I do enjoy walking through casinos and watching people lose their money. Uh, I, you know, I, I find that because uh, I'm a student of sociology, and, and sociology is the study of human behavior. And I find it fascinating how people can let it all ride on red on the roulette wheel or think they have the right numbers for Keno or think they can have the right card sequence for poker or for blackjack. And sometimes they say, I'm letting it all ride on red or all ride on black. And sometimes they win and sometimes they don't. The point that I'm asking you today, is it worth, is your faith strong enough to let it all ride on God? Is, 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 he, is he better than the roulette table? Is he more trustworthy than the blackjack cards? Is he more together than the keynote numbers? Joshua is saying, I'm letting it all ride on God. The God who spoke this world into existence. The God who created Adam and Eve. The God who formed the waters and said thus far. The guards who, who hung the stars in space like hanging chandeliers. That's the God that I'm encouraging you to trust. And so it's the God that you serve. Is he worth letting it all ride on? But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Joshua is not asking the tribes of Israel to make a blind leap of faith. And how do we know that? Because he has rehearsed their history. He has rehearsed for them. He has reminded them of the evidence at hand. It's almost as if, it's almost as if uh, uh, there's a trial setting going on. And Joshua is one of the attorneys arguing his case before the council. And now he is at the point to where he's going to let his case rest. 
But he's presented all of the evidence to the jury, and the jury has to decide is there is veracity in the evidence that Joshua has, uh, has presented. Is there enough veracity in the text for you to trust God? And so he says now, he says now, he says now in verse 14, now therefore, based upon the proceeding of what I have just said, Therefore, based on God's pedigree, therefore, based on God's acts and wonders, therefore, based on God's faithfulness, therefore, based on God's consistency, therefore, based on God's holiness, is there enough for you there to trust God or do you need more information? And so I ask you, Transforming Love, a Christian sinner, is there enough for you to trust God? Or do you need more information? When you reflect on how good God has been, when you reflect on what he has brought you through, over the hills, through the valleys, when you reflect on how he has healed you, how he has rescued you, how he has protected you, is there enough for you to trust God? And so Joshua says here, now, therefore, Therefore, based on what I have said, is there enough? And again, I'm preaching to myself now, and I'm preaching as well as to you. Because in all that we see going on in our local area, in our state area, in our national area, in our international area, in our global area, in spite of all that you see and all that we see, is there enough to trust God? Is there enough? One of the most pressing issues of our day is the SARS-CoV-2 or the COVID-19. And, 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 and this is not to, to throw stones at anybody. This is not to pick at anybody. But in light of COVID-19, is God bigger than COVID-19? Is he still Jehovah Rophe? I am the God that healeth thee. Is he still, in light of the psalmist, the God who protects thee? Is he still, is he still the God of hosts, the God of heaven's armies, who is able to keep in spite of your mask, in spite of your vaccine, in spite of social distancing? Is God enough? Is God enough? Now, therefore, as I hurry on to a close, now, therefore, he says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity. He is saying in fear, he is saying, stand in awe and amazement of the God who has been with us up to this point. Do you stand in awe and amazement? For who God is, number one. For what he's done, number two. And for the reality in your life, number three. Do you stand in awe of who God is? Is he worthy to be praised? You just sang the song, as the deer panteth for the water. I think it's Psalm 42, so my soul thirsts after. Is it, are those just lyrics on the screen? Or does your soul literally pant for the presence of the Lord? You know, we, see, we sing the song, I stand in awe of you, holy God, to whom all praise is due. 
I stand in all of you. Are those just lyrics on the screen? Or is that the sincere testimony of my heart? That I stand in awe when I look at your majesty and your otherness. I stand in awe of you. That's one of the things that uh, we see in Isaiah's uh, vision of God. In Isaiah's vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6, it talks about how in the year Uzziah died, he comes to the temple. And when he comes to the temple, he has a unique experience. He says there, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. He said he saw the seraphim. Each one had six wings. Uh, With two, they covered their face. With two, they flew. With two, they covered their feet. And he said he heard the cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in that word, kadosh, is the idea of otherness. The otherness of God that Isaiah stood in awe to. And so my question to you, do you stand in awe of the otherness of God? Is God above and beyond all the rest? Or is he just one among many? Why, where does that come into play? Because, because, because in, in our text, in our text, there are other gods mentioned in the text. Because he says, fear God, choose whom you're going to serve, whether it is the God on the other sides of the flood or the gods in whose land you dwell. And so it's this idea that God is in competition for the affection of the Israelites. Because when you, when, when you put somebody else on God's level, in essence, you are saying that God is not enough. And so, and so what Joshua is saying here is that the God who you serve should be and is enough. Those gods that you see among the Amalekites and the Jebusites and the Gergashites and the Canaanite and the other, all the other ites are nothing more than the creation of the hands of men. They have hands that can't reach for you. They have mouths that can't speak, ears that can't uh, hear, eyes that can't see. But the God of heaven, the God whom you have been serving, is more than a match for them So he says, fear the Lord. Stand in awe of them. But then he goes on and he says, and serve him. Serve has the connotation of worship that is demonstrated through obedience. Worship that is demonstrated through obedience. Worship means ascribing worth or value, all right? And so he is saying there, when you serve God, the way you demonstrate that you are real, authentic, and true is not so much by what you say, but what you do. 
You know, we used to have a saying in our, in our churches when I was coming up, it's not how high you shout, or jump when you shout, but it's how straight you walk when you come back down. Okay? The, the, the idea is you got to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. All right? Bring it a little bit, bring a little bit closer. It's not how hollow you shout amen while I'm preaching, but it's how much the word of God richly dwells in you. It's not how much you wave your hand while I'm preaching or while you're singing, but is there consistency with the wave of the hand and the step of the foot? And so Joshua says here, serve the Lord, worship him through obedience and ungodly living. And then he says, how do you serve him? Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Meaning that the, in sincerity and in truth, you're not pretending. But let me put it another way. In sincerity, you are not a knockoff. What is a knockoff? Okay, what is a knockoff? You can go down to certain stores, and whether it's Gucci, Pierre Cardin, Armani, Coach, pick your pick your label, doesn't matter. Rolex. Ralph Lauren, Polo, don't matter, pick your label. There are those garments and items that are authentic from the manufacturer. And there are those audience that are pretenders that want to be like the item issued by the manufacturer. And though they may look the same, they're not the same. And it takes a skilled eye to know the difference. In my former line of work, uh, we spent time looking at uh, counterfeit bills and, and counterfeiting. And interestingly enough, as we dealt with counterfeit deals, they actually call it question documents, is actually what it's called. And when we got to money, do you know in our training, they never gave us fake money. They always gave us the real thing. And what they said now in this class, what we want you to do is we want you to feel the money. We want you to look at the money. We want you to rub your hand across it so you hear how it sounds. We want you to smell the money. And it was all about calibrating our senses to the original, so that when the fake or the knockoff came by, our senses were so calibrated to the authentic that the knockoff didn't stand a chance. And so where am I saying this? Our, 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 our service, when he says, fear the Lord in sincerity and in truth, get so acquainted with the original. Get so acquainted with the otherness. Get so acquainted with the holiness. 
get so acquainted with the majesty, get so acquainted with the glory, get so acquainted with the splendor, get so equated with the superlative so that the good and the better won't stand a chance because you know there's only one best. So he says, so he says, serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. But it didn't stop there. Now, how do you, how do you establish that you are serving the Lord in sincerity and in truth? The next phrase says, and put away. All right, I'm not making it up. It says right here, and put away the other gods that you found on the other side of the flood. Sincerity and in truth has the idea of self-examination. Where, where I look in the mirror. When I look in the mirror without my mascara on, without my eyeliner on, without my Grecian Formula 16, without my dark and lovely, without my lipstick and everything else, and I see the rawness of myself, and I say, this is how I really am. So, and, 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 so, and so, what do I need to strip off? Yeah, so that I can see myself as I truly am. And I can see God as he truly is and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Let's take it a step further. What do I have to purge out of my life? That is inconsistent with my identity as a follower of God. What's hanging in my closet? What do I need to get out of the closet? What do I need to let go of? Whom do I need to kick to the curb in order that I can walk more closely with the Lord? You see, when he says, put away the other gods, the implication is idolatry or other things that are competing with my affection that should only be given to God. So what do I need to shake off? How many pounds do I need to drop, physically and spiritually? in order that I can walk more efficiently with God. It goes in line with what the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12 when he says, uh, verse 2, lay aside the weight and every sin. Everything in my life may not be a weight, but it can, or may not be a sin, but it can be a weight that hinders or impedes my progress. One of my pastimes is, is running. I like to run. I like to go down to Quarry Lakes. 
in Union City. I like to run out to San Leandro Marina. And I've learned some things about running. I could go out right now in this suit, this shirt, these shoes, and run if I had to. And I, I could probably do my two or three miles if I had to. And it would be somewhat cumbersome, but I would get through it. But if I would stay true to form, I would get out of this attire. I would put on my running shorts. I would put on my T-shirt, my sweatband, my running shoes, do my stretching exercises, get my stride down, get my breathing coordinated, and just let the run be therapeutic. I could run in this, but is it the most efficient way? Is it the most practical way? No, the most practical way to be would be to dress for the occasion. We're running this race right now. Are you running it in the most practical way, in the most God-glorifying way, in the most spiritually efficient way, or are you lugging and dragging some things that are impeding your progress? Serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods uh, on the other side of the flood. Now he says, as I close, he says now, and if it seem evil, all right, now, that brings into focus the cognition of the mind because now the decision has to be made. And so he says, after you have analyzed everything, if your conclusion is that it seemed evil for you to serve the Lord, meaning that after you have thought of everything, look at what he says here in verse 15, and if it seem evil for you to serve the Lord, make your choice. Choose you this day whom you are going to serve. Now here's what he's saying. I can't choose for you. You have to choose yourself. Earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 14, the same verbiage is used. See, I have set before you life and death. Choose life and live. Or choose death and die. We see a similar statement with Elijah on Mount Carmel. The King James Version says, how long will you halt between two opinions? If God be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. All of us have to choose. And Joshua said, I can't choose for you. I have rehearsed. I've made the case. But you have to decide. I've been walking with you though these years, and we've all seen how faithful God has been. But you will have to decide. I saw him when he brought us through the Sea of Reeds, or what the King James Version calls the Red Sea. 
And he brought us through and swallowed up Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. I saw him, how he allowed us to walk through the wilderness, pillar of cloud by day and pillar of cloud by night. God was so faithful that not even the shoes on our feet wore out. And here I stand in the sunset years of my life with less days before me than behind me. Here I stand, ready to go the way of all the earth. And my final word to you, O Israel, is choose whom you're going to serve. What choice, Israel, will you make? You've walked with me too. You've seen God's acts also. What will you choose? And I close by saying, Transforming Love Community Church, whom will you choose? You've been walking with God a number of years. Whom will you choose? You've seen him demonstrate what he desires to do. Whom will you choose? You've seen how he has worked in your life, collectively and individually. Whom will you choose? You've seen how he has made a way when there appeared to be no way, but he showed you the way through the way that didn't seem like it was there. Whom will you choose? You've seen how he has protected you thus far from COVID-19. Whom will you choose? You've seen how he has put a pillow under your head at night, a bed under your backside. You've seen how he's allowed you to close your eyes at night and charge his angels to watch around you. You've seen how he has shaken and wakened you in the morning to see the beauty of another day. Whom will you choose? You've seen how he has provided you with a job to put food on your table, clothes on your back, fuel in your gas tank, clothes in your closet. You've seen how he's equipped you to pay the mortgage and the rent. Whom will you choose? You've seen how he has allowed you to live in a country where you can express your freedom. Not that it's perfect, but you have won so-called the proverbial lottery by being a citizen of the United States of America. There is no other country on earth where you can enjoy the freedoms that you have here. Whom will you choose? You've seen all that he's done, how he's protected your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, your husband and wife your brothers and sisters, whom will you choose? And Joshua concludes, but as for me, I can't speak for you, but as for me, I can't speak for the Rupanites or the Gadites. I can't speak for the Simeonites, but I can speak for myself. And so transforming love, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for Sam Morgan. And as for Sam Morgan, he's going to serve the Lord.
As for Sam Morgan, he's going to walk with Jesus. As with Sam Morgan, he's going to stick with Jehovah God. As with Sam Morgan, he's going to stick with Jehovah Jireh. As with Sam Morgan, he's going to stick with Jehovah Rophe. As with Sam Morgan, he's going to stick with Jehovah Sikhanu. As with Sam Morgan, he's going to stick with Jehovah Ramah. As with Sam Morgan. He's going to stick with the God of the Bible. Choose you this day whom you will serve. There's enough evidence. There's enough street cred. There's enough reputation. His, his provision is too good. He's been too faithful. He's been too consistent. He's been too reliable. For me to turn my back on him now, I've come too far from where he's brought me from. I don't know what lies ahead, but I'm sticking with Jesus. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm sticking with Jesus. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from the sunshine, for its clouds may turn to gray. I don't worry on the future, but I know what Jesus said, and I know he walks before me, and he knows what lies ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know, I know, I know, I don't think, but I know. I don't hope, but I know he holds my hand. An informed decision to serve the Lord. If it seem evil for you to serve, choose you this day. But as for me and my house, we will. We're not going to try. It's not might. It's not hope, but we will serve the Lord.